Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at The Ghoul from 1933. A film starring the delightfully goofy and creepy Boris Karloff. God bless that man. <laughs> um, before we begin, I've actually got some exciting news. So, I was recently contacted by the Bath Archeo Heritage Film Festival. This festival, unsurprisingly, is going to be held in the city of Bath and will take place between the 4th and the 6th of April. It will be showing many classic and contemporary films based around history and archaeology. One of these films is the Mummy remake from 1959, starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Literally one of my favourite Mummy movies. The showing will be on the 5th of April, and I shall be attending this and will also be part of a panel after the film. I would love to see some of you there. If you are interested, I have put a link to the festival's website on the description below this episode. And to be honest, I would also recommend looking at some of the other films they're showing. Because, you know, there's some real classics there, such as Spartacus, uh, One Million Years BC, uh, the Disney Hercules film, and one that I'm admittedly incredibly excited to see, Three Ages from 1923. Apparently, this film's actually going to have a live score accompanying it, and it also stars Buster Keaton, and well, he's just infinitely entertaining. Uh, for those who don't know much about him, literally just put into YouTube Buster Keaton's stunts. The guy was insane. Like, I, it boggles the mind that he was doing a lot of this stuff before health and safety measures and that kind of stuff. You know, he was, he was just as much a stuntman as he was an actor. Anyway, moving back to The Ghoul, there are some really interesting facts about this film. To begin with, it was the first ever British horror film of the sound era. And you can kind of tell as well, because a lot of the, the usual tropes and things are, are clearly still in development here. The filming for this also led to Boris Karloff returning to the UK for the first time in almost 25 years, 
as, well, he had mainly worked in the US up until this point. As such, although admittedly his screen time was far less than even the supporting cast, he, he basically only appears in the film at the very beginning when he's dying, and at the very end when he turns into the ghoul. He did at least get to reunite with many of his surviving family, as, well, interestingly, Boris Karloff was actually born in Surrey. So, for those who don't know, this is a county in the southeast of England, and is about as terrifying as the name sounds. Hardly the place you'd expect to find one of the greatest horror icons of all time. Apologies to people from Surrey, but you've got to admit, I'm right here. <laughs> Interestingly as well, shortly after its release, the film was lost, and it was actually rediscovered in a couple of stages. Firstly, in 1969, a copy was found in Czechoslovakia. This copy, however, was very poor quality and was missing about eight minutes of the film. Then, in the early 1980s, the full film was finally found in a forgotten vault of Shepperton Studios. At this time, the British Film Institute took possession of it, and as such, it is now available for anyone to enjoy. Again, Please check the episode description as I have put a link to the entire film in there. In terms of the format of this episode, we shall start with a look at the historical accuracy of the film, and then simply I shall review the film and rate it out of 10. But before then, as is always the case, it is time for my dramatic intro. Right, your elderly master is on the verge of death. He calls you to his bedside and shares his final wishes. He desires a burial in the ancient Egyptian tradition, following the ways of old. In his last moments, he requests you to place an ancient jewel, known as the Eternal Light, in his hand, so that he can offer it to Anubis and transition to the afterlife. However, Instead of fulfilling his request, as he takes his last breath, you choose to steal the jewel and hastily conceal it. Unbeknownst to you, others are also in pursuit of the jewel. Moreover, your master's seemingly eccentric superstitions hold some truth. Now, not only must you safeguard the jewel from those who seek to take it from you, but you also need to survive the wrath of your resurrected master, a creature known as the Ghoul. Okay, so we've now arrived at the historical accuracy section. Here, I shall simply go over the film, saying what it gets right and wrong, mainly when it comes to its claims on Egyptian history. Near the beginning of the film, when Boris Karloff is lying on his deathbed, he talks about his faith in the ancient Egyptian gods. He then talks about how Anubis, the god depicted as a dog, will lead him to the underworld. In fairness, Anubis was strongly associated with the ancient Egyptian afterlife, and in more than one way as well. I've spoken a little bit about this on previous episodes of this podcast, 
most notably on the episode on the Mummy 1959. But his association is around even in the pre-dynastic period, before pharaonic Egypt had even begun. At this time, bodies tended to be buried quite shallowly in the ground, and as such, it was not uncommon for dogs to dig these up and feast on their flesh. Anubis, the god commonly depicted as a dog, was used to fight like with like. Whilst other dogs harmed bodies, he protected them. On top of this, in the Osiris myth, probably the most famous of all of the ancient Egyptian myths, there is a part where Osiris, who in the myth is ruling over Egypt, gets killed by his brother, Set. Anubis is actually the one to mummify Osiris, and this is supposed to be the first ever mummification. Further still, in the ancient Egyptian religion, when someone died, it was believed that they would travel through the underworld with the sun god Ra on his bark. At one point, the deceased would be led by Anubis into a hall known as the Hall of Justice. Here, they would take part in the weighing of the heart ceremony, where the heart would be weighed against the feather of truth. If their heart was heavy with sin, then it would be devoured by a terrifying goddess named Amit the Devourer, who was part lioness, part crocodile, and part hippo. They would then cease to exist. However, if their heart was not heavy with sin, then it would be as light as a feather and the scales would be balanced. If this was the case, they would pass through into the field of reeds, which can kind of be likened to the ancient Egyptians' version of heaven. So in other words, Anubis was heavily intertwined with the ancient Egyptian afterlife and is also one of the oldest gods in the Egyptian pantheon. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In the film, Boris Karloff also has a statue of Anubis in his room. And on the wall next to it is the word... Inpu written in hieroglyphs. This is indeed the ancient Egyptian name for Anubis, so I think that's quite a nice little detail. Now, on the downside, Boris Karloff then starts an incredibly dramatic speech with his last wishes. He wants a statue of Anubis on the west side of his tomb, and then he reveals that he will come to life as the glow of the full moon hits the door of his tomb. This is pretty much nonsense. 
I mean, I suppose you could argue that the sun sets in the west and that this was where the ancient Egyptians believed the sun would pass into the afterlife. But realistically, this is just the film making stuff up to sound dramatic. Also, when it comes to the use of the full moon here, I feel it would have made more sense to use Khonsu, as he was the god of the moon. On a more positive note, the coffin of Boris Karloff here has eyes drawn on the side of it. This is indeed a thing in ancient Egypt, and in fact, it was believed that eyes allowed the deceased to see out of the coffin and into the tomb. This gave a link between this life and the next. Finally, there is a winged sun disk above the entrance of his tomb. So this sun disk had an association with the god Horus. When imagined as a cosmic deity, Horus was depicted as a falcon whose right eye was the sun and whose left eye was the moon. In particular, the version of the winged sun disk in this film is called Horus of Badet. So Badet was an area of the delta in northern Egypt. This winged sun disk is an incredibly common piece of iconography, appearing most notably in temples, gate lintels, and the upper part of wall reliefs. So, overall, this film is not entirely accurate, although it does include a few nice little nods to Egyptian history. For instance, it associates Anubis with the afterlife, and even depicts his name in hieroglyphs next to his statue. Additionally, whilst it's most likely incidental, the use of eyes on the side of the coffin is indeed accurate, as they were believed to help the deceased to see out of the coffin and into the tomb. However, beyond these details, there is very little that is historically accurate in this film at all. Boris Carlos' directions to have a statue of Anubis on the west side of his tomb, and how he will come to life as the full moon hits the door of his tomb, is all completely made up for the film. Right, so we've now arrived at the review section. So here, I shall simply review the film, and then rate it out of 10. To begin with, unfortunately, I do have to start with a few negatives. The character development in this film is definitely on the shallower side. It really doesn't extend much further than, you are ugly, therefore you are a bad person. You wear a fez, therefore you are an evil Egyptian. You are handsome, therefore you are the hero. It, it doesn't go any further than that, it, it's incredibly shallow. Also, the relationship between our two, I, I suppose they're the main characters, uh, Betty and Ralph, is just plain weird. It's laid out as a classic love story. They start by hating each other, and then they grow to seemingly like each other as the film goes on. You're probably thinking this all sounds absolutely fine, except they're cousins. Don't get me wrong, they never actually fall in love or anything, but it was obvious that they were taking cues from love stories when they were writing this part of the film. I guess it was more common back then, but I personally found this a little uncomfortable. The first sort of 45-ish minutes of the film were a little bit hard to follow, to be honest. There were actually parts I had to rewind to understand, and even now I'm a little bit lost and not certain about them. But basically, the goal here was always to get the main characters into the big spooky house for the second half of the film. 
And in fairness, although they didn't get to this house in a particularly smooth way, the film does pick up significantly when they arrive. During this part, we see a lot of very old style and charming tropes. So there are creaky wooden doors and cobwebs everywhere. I personally love this and would kind of love to see some more of these tropes start turning up a little more in, in sort of more modern films. Don't get me wrong, I know they are still more or less there, but I kind of love the way they were presented in these old films where it just all looks a little bit cheap but charming. I mean, I know it's supposed to all be quite spooky, but I think by modern day standards it's just quite cute, to be honest. During the second half, we also have one of the characters, Kaney, falling in love with the mysterious Egyptian man. The way she acts here is so cringy. She basically ups the girliness to 11 and screams at everything, clutching onto his arm. As I say, this is incredibly cringy, but it was done this way deliberately, and I will admit I found it pretty funny. Further, although Boris Carlos' part in this film was incredibly short, he played the ghoul really well, and once again, the goofiness of the character was so undeniably charming. The ending of the film was also really fun and imaginative. So basically, Boris Karloff, as the ghoul, has to place a jewel in the hand of the statue of Anubis. The hand will then close to accept his offering and lead him to the afterlife. Boris Karloff does this and then dies. We then find out that one of the characters, Hartley, has actually sawn off the hand of the statue and replaced it with his own as he hides behind it. I will admit, I didn't see this coming and I thought it worked really well. But then the jaw begins to get hot potatoed as the mysterious Egyptian man gets it, and then Kaney gets it, and so on. This really made the ending feel very high energy and fun. Finally, I just want to talk about some of the parts of this film that were technically not great, but I would argue were not bad either. Normally, I would name this part the so bad that it's funny section, but I feel this doesn't really give it justice, and I feel the things I'm talking about here more fall into the realm of charming. At one point, Betty is walking along the street in the middle of the night, when a strange man grabs her by the throat and steals her purse. Terrifying, you may think. Less than two seconds later, she's bumped into her cousin Ralph, and they're just having a jolly old catch-up. She doesn't seem shaken at all. This is obviously highly unrealistic, but it also made the film seem oddly innocent in a strange way. And in general, this does go with the theme of the film, as it really struggles to get the levels right on anything. People are either too scared by what they are seeing, such as Kaney when she's screaming at everything, or they've just seen someone rise from the dead and brush it off as if it's nothing. The film does also seem to have an issue with the music as well and sort of the timing of it. You know, it, it can come off as very janky. So, for instance, um, when the ghoul rises from the dead, we see it push the coffin lid off and hands appear. There's no music at this point whatsoever. It's completely silent. The ghoul then appears from the tomb and there's more complete silence. Until about three seconds later, when abruptly the dramatic music starts. 
it's all just a little bit off and it makes the whole film seem incredibly sweet. You could tell they were still trying to figure out the technology, let's put it that way. When it comes to the film as a whole, overall, although the first half of the film is very slow and overly hard to follow, it picks up significantly in the second half. At this point, the goofy, fun nature of the film takes centre stage. We have a spooky old house, a cast of colourful characters, cringeworthy, though admittedly funny moments with Kaney, and Boris Karloff running around as a ghoul. What's not to like? For the most part, this film is enjoyable for unintentional reasons. However, it is also undeniably entertaining and falls into the realm of more sort of charming than so bad that it's good. Whilst it may not be for everyone, fans of old horror films will likely get a kick out of this one. In conclusion, I am giving this film a 6.5 out of 10. Thank you very much for listening. I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have, please do like, subscribe, leave a comment. It all really helps the podcast. And once again, if you are interested, please do check out the Bath Archeo Heritage Film Festival. I really would love to see some of you there. As I said earlier, you can find the website in the episode description. And join me next time, where we shall be looking at Under Wraps 2 from 2022. I hope you all have a fantastic week, and see you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.